Amen. All right. So none of this is new if you've been here for a little bit, a little while, but uh, it's been a while since I've taught on it, and uh, there's a possibility that you're here this morning, and you might be in need of God to do something miraculous in your life or God to intervene in your life. Well, I don't believe that God just has me teach so that we can learn something new. I believe always that the that God's desire is if we follow him and if we're learning about something is to demonstrate. So what we teach here this morning, we're going to give opportunity to be able to uh, to uh, demonstrate this morning. God's going to demonstrate as we pray. We don't heal, but God does, and we're his instruments. So if you're here this morning and throughout this message, and by the way, I give you permission, not that you need my permission, but sometimes people are funny about that. You have permission to be healed before we ever get to the altar time. Amen? We're going to be talking about healing as a process just to give you uh, uh, some information and, 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 and learning the ways of God this morning, but God can heal instantaneously as well, and he, I believe he'll do that this morning as, uh, in, in just as well as begin a healing process in many of us. So Acts 10.38, title of the message, Healing as a Process, How God Anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You notice that word devil's in lowercase, right? So <laughs> just talking about Wednesday night. Anyway, so just kind of by way of introduction, from the beginning in Scripture, God reveals himself to humanity through the Scriptures, and he reveals himself as a healer of his people. When he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, brought them to a place called Marah, where there was a bitter water, and he showed Moses a tree, threw it in the tree. The tree, the waters became sweet, and immediately God revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, Exodus 15:26. He said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals heals you. Now, what we need to understand is, and, and we might get into this a little bit later, is the Bible says uh, pre-cross, pre-New Testament, shedding of Jesus' blood, resurrection power being released, pre-that, God reveals himself as the healer, right? He's a healer in the Old Testament. He's a healer in the New Testament. He always has been always will be the Lord our healer. It's not past tense. It's not future tense. It is present tense. I am the Lord your healer. Now, under the old covenant, God is revealing himself as a healer. And uh, Psalms 103 verse 3 says, he forgives all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. That was pre-cross. Well, imagine post-cross where we're in a better covenant. If you're in a better covenant, it has to at least be as good as the first covenant. And in the first covenant, he forgives all our iniquities and he heals all our diseases. So how much better the one that we're in that we just ratified, we just confirmed again this morning as we took communion saying, this is the cup, uh, this is the bread, and we are identifying with Christ. We are proclaiming our faith in Christ. We are uh, uh, ratifying again the covenant that we have with him, and it's a better covenant. 
So anyway, Psalms 103, I just told you that. He forgives all our iniquities, heals all our diseases. Healing to me is more than just an added blessing from God that happens from time to time as the Lord wills. It is a blessing from God. It does happen from time to time as the Lord wills. But for me, I'm coming to understand Scripture teaches us that healing is actually in the atonement of Christ. It was made available for all who believe when Jesus died buried, rose again from the dead. His shed blood provided within that, uh, um, that sacrifice that he shed on the cross of Calvary provided not just salvation so we go to heaven when we die, but salvation of spirit, soul, body, relationships, finances, every dimension of our life. He died so that we might be whole. He died for the salvation of our souls, yes, but he also died that we would be whole, every single part and dimension of our being, spirit, soul, body, relationships, finances, and if there's another category in there that I figure out, I'll add that in there too because he died for it all. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, looking forward to what was going to happen at the cross of Calvary. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. That doesn't mention anything about uh, healing, and which is what we're talking about here today. Well, the way they translated it in, in the, in the uh, scriptures at, in, out of Isaiah, it does not. But the Holy Spirit had a better translation because he moved upon, upon Matthew to translate this same scripture and apply it to what it truly means in the New Testament where it says in Matthew 8, 16 through 17, talking about what was happening in Jesus' ministry, the Bible says, when evening had come, they brought to him Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all, who? All, not some, not most, but all, it didn't matter if they were young, didn't matter if they were old, it didn't matter if they were women, didn't matter if they were men, it didn't matter who they were, he healed them all. It didn't matter if they were, at this particular time, it was only Jewish, but we'll find that it didn't matter if you were Jewish, it didn't matter if you were Gentile, he healed them all. You hearing what I'm saying? He cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Remember, we read it. He carried our, our griefs. Uh, he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows, but the Holy Spirit put it upon Matthew to translate it this way. He himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted to bring out, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross of Calvary, on that cross, it, it was what was what, what created the opportunity. But you said, well, he hadn't gone to the cross yet, but the Bible says from the very foundation of the world, he was slain. So, but the cross of Calvary would ratify uh, God's uh, uh, purpose in healing, delivering, setting people free. It was all accomplished because of what Jesus did at the cross. He took our infirmities and he carried our sicknesses. So many people, what happens is when we've been taught over and over and over again that the cross of Calvary and dying on the cross is for forgiveness of sins, and it is. But it's much more than that. It is much, much 
more than that. In the book of Romans, Paul gives a summary statement of the gospel, Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. That's just their way of saying for everyone in the world. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. How do you access this salvation? From faith to faith, by faith, for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, you're talking about salvation. That's not talking about healing. That's talking about salvation. Thank you for bringing that up. The word Paul uses for salvation is from the Greek word sozo. Sozo means more than just going, uh, being, you're having your sins forgiven and going to heaven. It actually means wholeness, wholeness of spirit, wholeness of soul, wholeness of body. I believe that Paul was saying, and the Bible teaches us, that it is the will of God that people would be whole, that they would be saved, they would be healed, they would be made whole. Furthermore, I believe it's the will of God, and the Bible teaches that people walk in health and wholeness in every dimension of their life. What do you mean? What's the difference between those two? I don't just believe, my personal opinion, that Jesus is here to heal you and deliver you, which he does uh, if you're sick or you need deliverance or you need some kind of freedom in your life, you need to be set free from torment, affliction, whatever the case may be. He does that, but I believe it's more than that. I believe Jesus paid a price so that we could walk in health and wholeness. It's my personal belief. That's what I believe the bar is. A lot of times what happens is we lower the bar to what we can hurdle. And then we begin to lower the bar to what we can hurdle. And so guess what we always get, what we can do. But I believe that we need to go back to Scripture and say, what does Scripture teach the bar is? And wherever the bar is, we can look at where we're at, and, what, and we get discouraged because the bar is so high. But for me, I'm encouraged because of where the bar is, and it encourages me that if I believe God and pursue God and ask God for revelation and, and God to help me, all things are possible to those who believe. I'm sure nobody thought that they could walk on water until Peter did it. How many of us, our bar is nobody can walk on water? That's what nature teaches us. That's what physics teaches us. That's what science teaches us. It's impossible to walk on water. Aren't you glad that Peter, somehow or another, he didn't let that bar limit him? He saw Jesus walking on water, and he said, I want to walk on water. And Jesus said, come. So when we see the bar up here, it's not to discourage us. It's to say, oh, wow, I'm living so far below what God wants me to live. God, I want to experience that. Help me to do what I cannot do on my own. Am I making sense to you? Right? So uh, what, what I'm trying to get you to understand is I actually believe that God's will is that his people would not just receive healing, and, 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 you know, whenever they get sick, but that they can learn to walk in health and wholeness. If that's true, then why do God's people in, re, in real life experience and suffer so much with sickness? And why are so many of God's people not healed when they're prayed for? That's a good question. There are many reasons for that statement. One primary reason is Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
If you don't know, you're in the dark. If you don't know the truth, you don't have any way to be able to live up to something that you're not aware of. If you had, uh, uh, how many of y'all have ever gone online and say, I wonder if anybody owes me money? And there's these little things that tell you, hey, you got $4,000 over here. You got $6,000 over there. You know, and I thought it was kind of a scam and not really true. My dad did it. He needed money. He got his neighbor to help him, and he got money. It was his money. And he was, she helped him to claim his money. If you don't know you have something out there, you're not going to go try to claim something you don't have. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if we don't know what God's done, or we don't know all that God's done, we don't have any opportunity or any incentive to go beyond what we know. So it, it behooves us to know what does Scripture teach us. Because without understanding, without knowledge, which brings understanding, then we're going to keep living the way we always live. Why is knowledge so, so important? Because knowledge of God's will or knowledge of God's word is the foundation for faith. If, uh, how shall they believe if they do not hear? It's what it says in Romans chapter 10, I believe, verse 14. And so the imperative is you've got to go and tell them because if you don't tell them, they won't be able to hear. And if they don't hear, they're not going to be able to believe. Right? So knowing God's word is the foundation for faith, and faith is the door through which the power of God is made evident in our lives. Somebody told me that Jesus saves. When they told me that Jesus saves, it be, uh, uh, they, they began to give me word for that. And it's something within my heart, over a process of time, it began to work in my heart. And over a process of time, I began to, I began to believe that God wanted to save me. And I got to a point where I said, God, are you real? And inside of me, I was saying, because I really want uh, you, I really need you in my life. If you'll save me, I want to be saved. I didn't say all that. I just said, God, are you real? But my heart was crying out, and God's word was true. And so when I cried out in faith, God answered me. And he saved me. And I experienced more than just a change of direction. I experienced a supernatural, I had a supernatural encounter with God that totally transformed me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. I experienced the power of God. But if nobody had told me, if my wife hadn't told me about Jesus Christ, I had no opportunity to believe. Whatever I had, whatever I was living in, I thought that was the best that I was going to get in life, the best that I could do, the best the world could do. I'm so grateful that, God, that somebody told me that God had much more for me in life. Faith comes by, Romans 10, 17, hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Have you ever heard somebody say, and it's kind of a side, but I think it's important for where we're going. Have you ever heard somebody say that had they been around when Jesus was walking the earth, they would have for sure been healed? You ever heard somebody say that? I've been prayed for, and sometimes I don't get healed, you know, but if Jesus was here, I know I would be healed. Alas, that's a good word, alas, right? Doug, alas. No, Doug, <laughs> Alas, that's not necessarily true. Not everyone was healed under Jesus' ministry. There was still the requirements of knowing 
and believing. Knowledge and faith. As to the knowledge, you have to have heard the reports, if you were living back then, of what Jesus was doing in and among the people. The Bible says in Matthew 4.24, his fame went throughout all Syria, and because of what they heard that he was doing, I'm adding that in there, but that's part of the context, right? They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted. Why were they doing that? Because they heard Jesus was healing the sick. When they heard Jesus was healing the sick, they said, we need to get our sick people over there. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. And the Bible says he healed them. They heard, and so they believed. They came, and they experienced. But without hearing, they wouldn't have come. You understanding what I'm saying? Then, as people heard the reports of what Jesus was doing in hearing the word and the effects of the word, faith had the opportunity to, to, to manifest. But faith was still necessary. I'm not talking about how much faith. I'm not talking about how little faith. All I'm saying is that the Bible says, Paul said it this way, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto the salvation of those who believe, those who have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. You've got to have faith. You can't eliminate faith from the equation, right? Without, when, you, when the Word of God went forth, faith had the opportunity to manifest, but faith was still necessary. Remember, Jesus is the Word, so in hearing what He said and did, the people now had the knowledge of the will of God and the Word of God. John 1 and 14, the Word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Having knowledge of God's Word, having knowledge of God's will, faith was still necessary for the Word of God to show itself powerful in the lives of God's people. And I'm going to prove that to you. In Mark 6, 2 through 6, the Bible says that Jesus had gone to his hometown in Nazareth. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And, and, the, and the Bible actually says, as was his custom. So everywhere he went, he would go into the synagogue. Uh, and I like what Kenneth Hagin says. He would actually give the same scripture which was uh, uh, in Isaiah, I think it was chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He's with the same scripture, and he would give everybody the same opportunity. And in other places, they believed him, and they received from him. But when he came to Nazareth, the Bible says, hearing, uh, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? Because they'd grown up with him. And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Isn't this uh, uh, Mary's illegitimate son? And are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended in him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor 
except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no, listen to this, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Teaching what? The same thing. Notice it says that Jesus, who was willing that all came to him in this paragraph, in this scene, was unable, not unwilling. He was unable to do any mighty work there because of unbelief. The Greek word for faith is the word pistis, right? Okay, so uh, the, 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 the Greek word for unbelief is the word a-pistis. It's taking the word faith and putting the word a in front of it negates the word faith. So instead of it being faith, it's unfaith. But we translate it as unbelief. Basically, it's no faith. So the literal translation of that word is, of unbelief, is no faith. He could do no mighty work there because there was no faith. It was because there was no faith in the people of the hometown of Nazareth that no mighty work could take place. Even though Jesus was there, remember we started this by saying if Jesus was here, everybody would get healed. No. Even though Jesus was there, if they didn't believe, they would not receive. Now, how many of you know that Jesus is here today? His presence is in this place, right? So what do I need to do to receive? I'm getting ahead of myself, but how many of y'all could take a guess and say, I need to have faith. I need to believe, right? We see this same principle taking place in another account of Jesus walking through the midst of a vast crowd of people. In this crowd, there was a woman pressing through to get to a place where she could touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Mark 5, 25-34, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. How long has she been suffering? 12 years. And she suffered not only from the affliction that she had, but she suffered from the doctors as well. She spent all that she had. Here, give me your money, and I'll tell you what you can do. Well, it didn't work. Give me some more money, and I'll give you something else you can do. But she got no, I don't have anything against doctors. I'm just telling you what she went through, right? She got no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, so she heard, right, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I may only touch his garments, I shall be made well. And the Bible says, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, wait a minute. You said that she had to have faith. Hold on. We'll get there. And immediately, Jesus, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and I'm going to add this in, touching you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see uh, her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, how many of y'all see that? Your faith has made you 
well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. How many others were there that day touching Jesus in that vast crowd, but only one was healed? Who was the one that was healed? The one who said to her, you had faith, the woman who had faith to be made well. What I want to bring out to you today is that not only was everyone not healed when Jesus walked the earth, but there's often another false understanding of those people that were healed that they were all healed instantly. He said, why is this important? Okay, because if you think that um, the only way to get, if, if, if uh, I'm going to get healed miraculously by, miraculously by God, if my shoulder hurts and I got prayed for and it's still hurting, then I didn't get healed, then you're going to walk away without faith. But if you believe and understand that in Scripture, when people get prayed for and there was no immediate uh, 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 manifestation of the healing, it didn't mean that they didn't receive something from God, then you'll keep your, I like what Ken Haven said, keep the switch of faith turned on. You'll keep that switch turned on. Okay, it's kind of like uh, Mike uh, uh, Gregory uh, is coming around and working on, on the um, on the, the electrical and some things that we have. And so sometimes um, we have the breakers turned off, you know, and you try a light switch and it doesn't, doesn't work, right? And so what a lot of times will happen is we want to find out if we've got power to there, we've got to go kick on the breakers. We'll keep the light switch on. And then, and as the light switch are on, as we cut that breaker on, then we'll know because the light switch is on, we'll know when that light powers uh, when that power goes through and powers that light, right? So a lot of times what happens is we get prayed for. We don't understand the ways of God. We get prayed for and nothing happens right away. We turn the switch off. Didn't work. God didn't want me to get well. It's not going to happen in my life. What I'm trying to teach you is that keep the switch on and I'll show you why, whether or not you see an immediate manifestation or not, because it doesn't mean that that power is not about to be released into your life. Let me give you some, some scripture for that, okay? So not everyone was healed when Jesus walked the earth, but there's often a false understanding of those that were healed that they were all healed instantly. The misunderstanding of how healing occurred in his ministry can also keep us from receiving healing in our lives. If we believe that instantaneous healing is the only way that healing manifests, and it does happen, and some of you might get instantaneously healed today, but if you believe it's the only way, we're not going to stand in faith for anything else, even if we understand it to be God's will. All right, Acts 10, 38. Again, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit and power. There was a reason I used this text. Who went around doing good and, can you say healing with me? Healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So I was reading a devotional in a commentary by Rick Renner, uh, Sparkling Gems from the Greek, Volume 2. I've used it before, very good teaching in there. But he, he says, the word translated healing is the Greek word eomai. It means to heal, cure, restore, or make well. It has the sense of making a person healthy again, often a miraculous act bringing about perfect wealth, health. The word eomai is very, a very ancient word for healing, so ancient that it was even used in Homer's time. It mostly denoted healing that came to pass key over a period of time. 
It is for this reason that the word eomai is often translated uh, throughout Greek history as a treatment or cure or remedy. Thus, it depicts a sickness that has been progressively healed rather than instantaneously healed. The word eomai is used in the New Testament with 23 times in the Gospels and the book of Acts. It is primarily used to denote miraculous acts of power that were progressive rather than instantaneous. It unmistakably tells us that there are many people who, from the moment they are touched by God's power, begin to amend or be cured. In other words, this means that all healings are not instantaneous. Certain people are progressively restored to health over a period of time. They become better and better until ultimately they are completely cured. Although this type of healing is not instantaneous, it is nonetheless miraculous. And I'm going to give you another dimension to this in a minute as well. And I'll give you a little hint. Sometimes you get a treatment and healing begins, but you've got to continue to get more treatments. You've got to take the full dose. And sometimes the prescription is different for different people. Sometimes you've got to get prayed for two or three times, sometimes five or six times. Why? I don't know. It just happens. It's just the will of God. I want to teach you the will of God so that whatever it is that you experience in life, you don't turn the switch of faith off, but you continue to believe God and you do what's necessary to position yourself to receive full healing from the Lord. The picture of Eomai is similar to a physician who gives medicine to a sick patient and expects the medicine to do its invisible internal work to produce a remedy for a physical problem, but with supernatural results. When this type of healing power is at work, the person praying for the sick may not see immediate results, but that person can be confident that because he has prayed in faith, healing power has been imparted. The complete manifestation of healing may take time, but if God's power has been imparted and received by the person's faith, that healing power has started its invisible internal work to reverse the sick person's condition and bring him or her back to a healthy state of being. Now, I'm going to transition here, and I want to talk to you about a man that I also like to read. His name is John G. Lake. He was a man used mightily by God in one particular point of his life, a five-year period. He was up in the, uh, I'm not sure if it was Washington State or Oregon State. I can't remember, but he was documented, documented, 100,000 documented healings in a five-year period in one city. Not one not 10, not 100, not 1,000, not 10,000, but 100,000 documented. How many of them were undocumented? In one city. It was actually proclaimed the healthiest city in America because of what God was using them to do. This pioneer of faith learned something about how to help people receive their healing. He said that we make a mistake in thinking that Jesus always healed instantly. A case in point is the healing of the 10 lepers, Luke 17, 11 through 14. It happened that as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go. Show yourselves to the priests, 
And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Notice it says, as they went. The healing process became evident later. In Mark 8, 22 through 25, Jesus came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and he begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on, his, on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. He said, well, I don't understand that. Okay, uh, let me finish, and I'll, I'll, I'll do this illustration. Then he put his hands on him again and made him look up. And as he was restored, he saw everyone clearly. You ever gone to, to the optometrist, right? You sit there in the optometrist, and he goes, psst, psst, can you see anything here? Is it, is it better? Psst, is it worse? Right? Psst, is it better? Is it worse? Right? And he's progressively getting a little bit better, and you're like, man, I don't see nothing. And he said, okay, I see something. Right? Oh, now I see clearly. It's a process. Right? So what's happening here? Jesus takes him outside the building. He can see nothing. For those of y'all that speak Spanish, nada. I see nothing, nothing, nothing. I see nothing. Jesus prays for him. What happens? <laughs> a little bit of power is released, a little bit of virtue is released. Now remember, this is Jesus who has incredible miracles taking place, but he's also teaching us that not everything happens right away. <laughs> power release, virtue come into his life. What happens? I see people like trees walking. He's trying to scrap. I see something, but I don't see clearly. So Jesus prays for him again. And when he prays for him again, more virtue was released into his life. Because that's what he said when the woman with the issue of blood touched him. Virtue came out of his body. Power came out of his body. More power, more virtue. Why did it take twice? I don't know. It's not always my, uh, uh, up to me to try to figure out how God moves. It's to figure out the moving, the ways of God so that I can position myself to however he chooses to move. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus laid hands on a blind man. What do you see? The man replied, I see man as trees walk, and his, his sight was still imperfect. Jesus laid his hands on him the second time, and he saw clearly. John Lake goes on to say, healing is by degree based on two conditions. Can you say two with me? The degree of healing virtue administered. And when I, when I take uh, uh, Tylenol, we just use Tylenol. Right? When I take Tylenol, it says extra strength Tylenol. What does that mean? 500 milligrams. So what does that tell you? There might be some Tylenol that has 250 milligrams. There might be some Tylenol, I don't know, is there less, right? Let's just for, for it might be 100 milligrams, right? Okay, so how much Tylenol is in that one pill that you're taking? Is there 100 milligrams? Is there 250 milligrams? Is there 500 milligrams? Well, you can take one pill, but not necessarily get the same dose. So when you get prayed for, how much healing virtue is being administered? You might get a 100 milligram dose. You might get a 250 milligram dose. You might get a 500 milligram dose. Or you might get everything you need. We don't know. God doesn't always tell us. But healing is based on two conditions. The degree of healing virtue administered second. The degree of faith that gives action and power to the virtue administered. Okay, so let's say you get a 500 milligram dose, and we're just going to say 500 is out. You get the highest dose, but you have no faith. What's it going to do? 
Nothing. Some medication you take, uh, it happens a lot with supplements. I'm moving around a lot and the camera's not moving. So it, it happens a lot with supplements, right? You take supplements and you, you're like, okay, I'm taking vitamin C, I'm taking vitamin D. But if you talk to doctors, what they say is most of those just go right out your body. You don't absorb them. Why you don't absorb them? I don't know. Doctor didn't tell me. But here you're taking all these supplements and they're doing nothing for you except draining your pocketbook. Right? Why doesn't it absorb? I don't know. But the Bible teaches us how you absorb what you've been given is by faith. So even if you get a little dose, but you have faith, it'll do something in your body. We have no control about how much dosage is given to us, but we can control how much faith we have. Now, when I say about how much faith, whether we receive in faith or not. Sometimes we come up to get prayed for, and there ain't no faith at all. I'll give it a try. Why not? Huh? Yeah? I tried everything else. Let's give it a try. But it's not like, ah, God's going to heal me. God, This woman with the issue of blood, she was a man, if I can just touch him, I'm going to be healed. And we're like, yeah, give it your best shot. Got nothing else to lose. That's not faith. Faith is, I'm going to believe that God's going to touch me. I'm going to believe that God's word is true, and I'm going to get prayed for, and if it's not, I'm going to receive something from God, and if I don't receive it all the first time, I'm going to go up again and get another dose. I'm going to, I'm going to keep getting prayed for until that process is complete, and I am healed. I don't doubt where it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. I don't know how or when, but it's going to happen. Hebrews 4 and 2 says, the word which they heard, talking about the Hebrews in the, in, the, in the wilderness, did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. I like the King James Version that says they did not mingle it with faith. Right? It's kind of like you're doing this recipe. Somebody said the other day, I made some cornbread and I forgot to put baking powder in it. Right? What happens if you make cornbread with no baking powder? Flat. Nothing. What gives it life? The baking powder. What gives the word of God or the virtue that you're receiving life? Faith. <laughs> Somebody's getting it this morning. In my own life, I remember when I was at Bible College and I invited Anna, who was my girlfriend at the time, for an event that we were having. I'm not sure if it was homecoming or some kind of, you know, uh, uh, something like that. So she came up and she happened to be suffering from a severe headache. So I prayed for in accordance to the scripture in Mark that says, and these signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I kind of shortened that. So go to verse 18. These signs will follow those who believe and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. The word of God says this. At that time, I was just pretty black and white. It says this. I'm going to do it. You're going to get healed, right? Pray for her. You feel better? No. <clears throat> I said, that was, as I, my expectation is that she would be immediately better. She didn't get immediately better the way I thought she should. So I went and talked to God about it. And I said, God, you said in your word this is what was going to happen. God wasn't upset with me at all. He says, what does my word say? It says, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He said, recovery is not immediate. Recovery is a process. And I said, oh, I learned something. I learned something that I'm trying to teach you. Just because she didn't get better right away doesn't mean that God didn't touch her. 
You understand what I'm saying? So what's my point today? Well, in concluding, as I stated previously, I believe healing is in the atonement of Christ. It's my belief that when Jesus died and resurrected in his glorious work on the cross, not only did Jesus pay a price for the salvation of our souls, but for wholeness in every part of our being. While there are several ways of receiving healing to us, revealed to us in Scripture, what I wanted to bring out is another way that God heals, another way that God moves, and that, that healing is progressive. It's not always instantaneous. We want to believe God for the instantaneous, but we don't want to disbelieve God when it's not instantaneous. Hopefully what we learn today is that healing is also received progressively. Um, I don't remember the exact story, but, but people, they, they get prayed for, and then they go home, and there's no immediate uh, uh, change in their life. But two days go by, three days go by, and they tell them, whatever you do, keep the switch of faith on. Don't uh, turn off that switch of faith. Just keep believing God. And three or four days later, they wake up, and the healing manifests in their life. They do, God's touched me. God's healing me. I, I know God touched me. I know God healed me. The knowledge of how God works and how God heals allows us to more fully cooperate with him as we position ourselves uh, according to how he does things and steadfastly stand in faith upon his word, believing for God's will for our wholeness to manifest in our lives as we follow his divine prescription for our healing and health. Now, listen, in my own personal life, I'm believing God for the fullness of everything that he's provided for in the Word. I don't want to leave anything on the table, right? I just don't. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm seeing everything manifest in my life, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stop believing either. So one of the things I started doing, I said, well, you know, uh, uh, how do I... How do I stand in faith? Abraham, when God told him, you're going to have a child 100 years old, he said, change your name from Abram to Abraham. I said, well, I'm not going to change my name. Do you want me to change my name, God? I'll change my name if you want me to change my name. I don't believe he told me to change my name, you know. And so what do I do? And I, I fell upon communion, and I take communion every morning. And when I take communion, it's my way of saying, I say to you, Lord, Lord, my name is Abraham. This is my way of saying, I believe you, even though it hasn't manifested in my life, I believe what your word teaches me, that I'm healed and I am and I will continue to stand, I'll continue to believe, and I'll continue to walk it out until I see, and I will see the full manifestation of what he promised me. But not only that, I also believe that he spoke to me one day, and he said, you're going to be wrinkled and vigorous. The Bible says about Moses, he was 120 years old, but he was full of vigor. And you know, at 120 years old, God said, I want you to climb to the top of the mountain because you're going to die up there. Well, apparently, he had a lot of life of him at 120 years old if he could climb a mountain. I don't see him. It doesn't say Moses had a walker. Right? I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about Moses. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a walker. I'm just saying is that it doesn't say that about Moses. He was full of vigor. He was full of life. His eyes did not grow dim, and he was full of vigor. He was full of life at 120 years old, right? So I'm actually believing when the Lord spoke that to me, he said, Rick, you know, because as you get older, (laughs) 
how honest can I be? As you get older, you're wondering, you know, what am I going to be struggling with when I get older, you know? Am I going to have problems with my mind? Am I going to have problems with my bladder? Am I going to have problems with my knees? Am I going to have problems with my, uh, you know, all of these things run through our minds. Or am I the only one that has those thoughts run through their mind? We have one honest person. And everybody else, I'm not saying nothing. Okay? And so when I began to believe God, I said, Lord, I said, I want to begin to believe you, God, that when I, when it's time to go, because I'm not trying to stay in this world uh, beyond what God has positioned me to or, or, or called me to, when it's time to leave, I'm ready to go. But I don't believe that I have to leave sick. You say, well, that doesn't, you say, what do you mean you don't believe that? That's what I'm believing for. I'm believing that I can leave this world at the time of transition. God says you're going to go. I'm going to believe God that at that time I'm going to close my eyes and be absent from this life and present in the next. He said, well, you may not get that. Well, again, I'm not going to lower my bar to what you want. I'm going to raise my bar to what God says is possible. And even if I don't attain it, I might attain a lot more than you will. I'm not trying to fight with you. I'm not trying to in any way condemn you. I'm trying to say is that I prefer to keep the bar here and believe God for that. If I don't attain it, it doesn't mean it's not for lack of trying. I'm going to try to get there. And hopefully I'll go farther than what has been happened in the past, and my children will learn something from my life when they say, God, Dad lived better than, than I thought he would. I want to believe God for what he was believing for. And the next generation, the next generation, and maybe at some point we can begin to experience not just healings, uh, you know, when we're sick and, 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 and all these kind of things which we want and we will experience, but we can get to a place where the body of Christ expects that we're going to live in health and wholeness. And if it's not happening, we go to bat saying, God, this ain't right. Something's got to change. Something's got to happen. There's something that happens not only when we as individuals believe, but as a body, we begin to believe God for what he provided for at the cross of Calvary. Well, I didn't know that. That's why I'm trying to teach you this morning. You've got to know what God's will is and then begin to believe God for what he says in his word. I think so.